Activate the time portal. Land before time land, land before time land, from the Cretaceous to the Jurassic, from the Great Green Valley to the big, big water. This land was made for time and land. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Land Before Timeland, the podcast with the most cast, where we talk about dinosaurs in a cartoon show that was not intended for us. My name is Madeline May. Joining me is Chris Nebergall. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. He is a music journalist uh, with works um, in such publications as Atwood Magazine, and he is one of the co-hosts of Tunes and Tumblers, a podcast that pairs amazing music with even better drinks. Folks, give it up for Anthony Kozlowski. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for being here. <laughs> oh no, we didn't want to reveal the con this early, oh, but no. yeah, this is actually a trick. Uh, uh, so <laughs> this is a con. Oh no, so, yeah, we conned you into watching a Land Before Time movie. We we really just do this to amuse ourselves. Uh, so Anthony, what is your history with the Land Before Time? Let's see. I watched the original so many times growing up. Um, it's probably my favorite Don Bluth movie next to Titan AE, and and that's my personal oh, opinion. I was about like, to, so don't, don't worry. come after me for that. And I saw all of the sequels up to The Secret of Saurus Rock, and then I kind of fell off of it. Um, I skipped ahead a few to watch the one that we're discussing today, and I gotta tell you, no knowledge of None the land before time is no needed knowledge to enjoy of any this of them film. Is needed. I think enjoy. it makes it better like (laughs) if you haven't seen the first one you might think like oh you know this is pretty good yeah you know this is this is a a, a enjoyable movie we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna go ahead and 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 say this is our controversial take on this one this one is is one of our one of our favorites yeah this this one is actually pretty good what did you think of this one overall anthony i am a longtime fan of the show and first time (laughs) guest and one motif that you you both um bring up time and time again is that none of these films are thematically consistent but i found this one to be pretty consistent from start to finish about what it was Uh, trying to say yeah that's that's a rare a rare achievement certainly in this franchise um and you know in terms of of the emotionality of the plot it, it doesn't quite rise to the heights of eight for for me but it's it's a solid narrative about uh, something that is 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 good and pure, uh, such as uh, genocide. So uh, let's uh, 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 g- genocide against yeah. a um, a minority population. So let's um, dive right into it. I mean, that's a pretty good segue. Yeah. Um, to land before time eleven. Fucking Christ. Invasion <laughs> of the Tiny Sauruses. Oh, no, they're so small. <laughs> it's in- invasion of the Short Kings. So we open up with a little bit of a, a little bit of a deviation from our normal openings in the the Land Before Time franchise. Yeah, it's a little subversion. It's uh, a subversion. It's sad. We have sad music opening up this one. Usually, it's kind of either happy or epic and exciting, but this is a very melancholy um, sad intro. piano. Yeah, it's sad piano music. It opens up with. Uh, 
you know, planets and the cosmos and stuff as usual. But plot twist, we're looking at subatomic particles because this movie's about small things. And we zoom out into the dinosaur world rather than zooming in. So it still counts as a space opening, sort of. Uh, but it's a little different. I really enjoyed the fake out. I was like, oh, they're yeah, yeah. upping their game this time. Yeah, it turns they out this time think. the tree star is around Orion's belt. <laughs> uh, space actually is exists within all of us. We we're, are, we are the, all the galaxy. We're in the quantum realm. The galaxy is in us all. It's that the uh, the Simpsons couch gag where they zoom out from the house and they keep going into the cosmos and eventually emerge at some yeah, atomic I was, level yeah, and then I was zoom just, out to Homer yep, again. I was just thinking it's about that great recursion. couch uh, gag. And then the uh, intro song to the Big Bang Theory begins and we turn <laughs> off the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> So I guess technically this is the first non-space opening. We well, should we, no, we've had ocean openings. We have a, okay. So before, what we've said is that every opening has either been space or ocean, and technically this is the first one that hasn't been either of those. That's true. Yeah, even the first movie has the ocean opening. That's true. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a uh, already a gigantic departure for the franchise. That must be why fans don't like it. Yeah, it's too new. It's too scary. <laughs> um, once they saw that the space became a plant, they're like, uh-oh, I'm, I'm in uncomfortable territory. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't I, know what to expect from this movie. I'm lost. And we have the narrator says a bunch of crap that I don't remember, but mainly he, he talks about how some dinosaurs are small, uh, specifically the size of kittens. Dinosaurs the size of kittens. Which is an interesting example, I think, to give uh, the size things. I try to size all of my things by um, by kittens, if I can. As a, as a um, amateur paleontology enthusiast, I'm not aware of any dinosaurs that have been discovered that were as small as kittens, unless you count modern-day birds. But uh, uh, that's the conceit. Go with it. Uh, most dinosaurs were, in fact, uh, smaller than, yeah, than I, the immense ones that are famous. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Chris, um, is a tiny saurus... Like the the nomenclature, like the correct <laughs> Is that nomenclature the Latin name for this for type this? of dinosaur. Uh, uh, well, uh, the tiny sources are based on a prosauropod called Musaurus, which means mouse lizard. And when it was discovered, it was thought to mm. be this tiny, tiny little sauropod like that. Uh, but it was it was later found after the making of this movie, I might add, that uh, they were they were they had been looking at babies. And the adults are actually 20 feet long. So <laughs> science is totally, uh, totally inaccurate <laughs> on this one. But at the time, it was accurate. They just didn't have all the information yet. Yeah, yeah, it was in, in the sense that, you know, Jurassic Park was accurate for its time. The, I, guess, I guess you could say the tiny sources were, were accurate for the time. I, even more accurate, I would say, yeah. for really no reason besides I wanted to say it. We uh, cut from our narration <laughs> to um, what I can only describe as like some kind of ancient cherry blossom tree of some kind. It's, uh, it's a tree covered in, in succulent pinkish flowers, which is apparently the prized delicacy of the Great Valley. It only blooms once a year, and it's called the tree sweets tree. The tree sweets tree, yes. And... People are losing their minds over this uh, leaf, this these tree sweets. And my first thought when I was seeing everybody kind of going crazy about it was that if tree stars are basically like crack to these dinosaurs and it's like the most important thing ever, this must be like a huge 
problem. You know, oh my God, this is a really stupid example, but do you remember the episode of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius (laughs) where he made like a candy that was so perfect it like caused every one of his friends to become addicted to it and like needed to have it at all times in order to, to live? I don't remember that, but that sounds like an episode of Jimmy Neutron. Anthony remembers this one. I cool, so I'm not crazy. That That's what I feel like this is. Like, you don't actually see any of the dinosaurs eat the leaves, which we'll get to why in a minute. But, like, I feel like if they did, they would just go crazy. <laughs> like, it would be, yeah. it would taste so the- euphoric. First off, they would orgasm in a very loud, spectacular way. <laughs> Because it would be incredible. The, the entire Great Valley is obsessed with eating these tree sweets. Yes, there's these like, are the most important. There's like a certain day that they're at, at ripe, uh, optimum ripeness that you're supposed to eat them. And everybody is supposed to like eat them all at once. And there's like a pecking order for who gets them. And if you violate it, I don't know, you're going to be executed or something. They're like super serious about you cannot eat the tree sweets before nibbling day. I have in my notes here, I, I don't know like what I was smoking when I when I watched this, but I just wrote commentary on the opioid crisis, question mark. (laughs) You were smoking tree sweets. Yeah, grabbing some of them, (laughs) those sweet, sweet treats, uh, as they say. Yeah, if if tree stars are are weed or or crack, then tree sweets are like ayahuasca. That's like the serious stuff. Yeah, and I want to point out like we're not exaggerating here about these these tree sweets for comic effect. Like they are fighting over these fucking plants. Yeah, the entire plot of this movie revolves around the the socio-political situation in the Great Valley collapsing over over the matter of tree sweets. Yeah, so we're would, not joking. It would be like if somebody like bombed a pepperidge farm factory <laughs> and we went to war with Kuwait over that. <laughs> like, that would be the connect the connection the immigrants are stealing your cookies oh my god oh no i will say right now if isis comes for my goldfish crackers i will <laughs> murder them and i'm a pacifist <laughs> i will stab them in the most violent gruesome i will recreate a saw movie the kids are like <laughs> arguing over who gets the tree sweets and sarah's like i get the first tree sweets because my dad promised me because i discovered the tree sweets tree and sarah's dad charges onto the scene to ruin it as he always does and he's like i've appointed myself the guard of the tree sweets tree to yeah. make sure nobody eats them before anybody else that's why i've made it my job to pay attention to every single little morsel on that tree and if even one of them disappears, I'll know it. Understand? Yeah, nobody told him to do this, by the way. <laughs> he wasn't assigned <laughs> to be the guard. He just decided he was the guard of the tree sweet tree. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I wrote down, um, this is fun. The, the day that they eat all of the tree stars is called nibbling day, which mm-hmm. I thought was cute. Uh, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> But it's cute. Um, I don't know. You have any thoughts on that, Anthony? You know, I kind of just chalked it up to like the the weird sort of uh, dialect that they that they've all adopted, where they just call things by like their most juvenile name possible. Like, oh, yeah. of course, like you know, Earthshake and and Great Valley and Big Water. Like, of course, it's Nibbling Day, Num Nums Day. Oh, I would have <laughs> Num Nums Day. So here. Littlefoot's emotional crisis for this one begins when um, he he d- he argues with Sarah over who actually discovered the tree sweets tree and remembers being too short to eat from the tree sweets tree, 
And all of the other like dinosaurs, all his friends suddenly start talking about how he's short for a long neck and like Sarah's making fun of him for being short. You, you think I'm small? Come on, don't take it so personally. I'm just saying you're not exactly normal size for a long neck, are you? I'm, I'm still growing. Oh, is that what's happening? <laughs> it's taking a while, isn't it? And like, you know, normally this this sort of thing would make sense if, if you know, they'd all had their growth spurts or something and Littlefoot hadn't. But none of them have changed scale at all since the first movie. They're all relatively the exact same sizes to each other as they were in the first movie. And all of a sudden, all these other tiny dinosaurs are like talking about how Littlefoot is unusually short. You will grow someday. Me think so too. Probably. Which is now his conflict. And I'm pretty sure it's been his conflict before that he's like too small or something. Yeah, I remember mm. that happening briefly in, in another movie. But it is really funny because like Littlefoot is clearly bigger than all of his friends. <laughs> yeah. But it really just seems like Sarah was just being a bitch. Yeah. Like she was just trying to find an excuse for why she just stole the first tree suite from Littlefoot. Who, before we even knew any more information, we, we knew he discovered the trees. He's the fucking, fucking main character. He's always <laughs> in front. Like, who else is going to fucking find this tree? And when Littlefoot calls her out, Sarah is just like, oh, well, you're short. Fuck you. Little, yeah. <laughs> little baby. Little baby man. And then Littlefoot goes back to his grandpa. And his grandpa makes it worse. He's like, don't worry, Littlefoot. I was once your size. Of course, by your age, I was a little bigger. <laughs> Not by your age, of course. Uh, well, no. Uh, by your age, I had grown. But you'll grow. <laughs> um, before this, we get a, a unexpected visitor. If we had patrons, you would know who this person is already, <laughs> but we don't. Uh, we have uh, TV's Tria. Yes, Tria featured prominently in the Land Before Time cartoon show, makes her debut appearance here. Yes, Tria is Daddy Tops's old flame, which it's amazing to me that he, he could even have an old flame because he's such a terrible person. Well, that actually comes up a little later, but we, we get introduced to Tria, who is a, 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 a just glaringly pink Triceratops. Yep, in a classic example of this dinosaur is pink, so she's a girl. Uh, yeah, even more so, I noticed this a little later. Um, she has these, like, circle things on her... Um, her yeah, her she has the little bony protrusions on, on her frill on her kind of resemble, like, jewelry. Yeah, they put them, like, on her head, too, to make it look like earrings, mm -hmm. which I thought was incredible and lovely. Uh, just a, a beautiful thing. But what we're trying to get to is that Tria introduces herself by calling Mr. Threehorn Topsy. Topsy, it is you. Tria? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a perfect name for him. <laughs> perfect name. And it says so much about what their relationship was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what they were doing when they knew each other. And I love that Mr. Threehorn like knows immediately that he's doing something wrong by like hitting on Tria because like once his daughter comes by, he just like shoos her out of the way. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. I'm being a bad father right now. And... 
It's so funny. And um, yeah, Mr. Threehorn gets extremely flustered and uncomfortable, which normally the only thing that makes him do that is when somebody asks him a, a yes or no question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's just, every time Tree is around, he is a blithering idiot. He cannot string two words together. Oh, yeah. no. He is in this in, entirely in incel territory. Like, he just cannot <laughs> function. This is the first woman who's paid attention to him in 30 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Since his wife, who we never know what happened to, I would look into some of those, those lakes in the Great Valley. <laughs> but I would... <laughs> Say that it's amazing that this this horrible, horrible dinosaur had sex once, <laughs> let alone had two lovers. But again, th the movie does, for its credit, kind of uh, uh, talk about this a little later. Uh, there, there's one line that I thought was really funny during this where Mr. Threehorn is trying to distract Sarah uh, from from finding out who Tara is. He says, uh, um, hey, you know, you know what we haven't done in a long time? Gone to the watering hole together, huh? Huh? Uh, what do you say? Just you and me, you know, family time. Hey, uh, why don't we go and have a, a bath together? Uh, it's been a it's been a while since we've had a bath together. Like, yeah, let's let's have a father daughter bath. A, a totally normal thing that people do and have. All right, so this is like a very important moment because like it keeps coming up again and again in this movie. The relationship that Topsy has with his daughter is is kind of questionable. I wrote down uh, daddy, husband, and daughter, wife. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel like Sarah has to do a lot of emotional labor in this relationship because of just how horrible her father is. Yeah. As a dinosaur, um, they even have a conversation about it because you know the whole the whole arc is that Sarah doesn't like that her dad is paying attention to this this new mom now, and and you know there's there's tension there. And they even have a conversation about it where Daddy Tops comes over to tell Sarah that, you know, he's going to be with Tria now. And he's like, this is so much harder than yelling. <laughs> yes, I love that line. Uh, that, that, that is a great one. W what I like about this movie is that it, it's only been like maybe like 10 or 15 minutes um, into the film. And we're already getting like a lot of depth to these characters and we have a lot of like little machine parts kind of moving along yeah um compared to some of the other ones that are just like so boring um the, the worst just, example being being number nine which where is the, the most filler movie the most filler movie ever. where it's literally just they are traveling and that's it there is no nothing else going on like there is complexity to to what's happening in this movie yeah it, it kind of takes it back to to the emotional complexity of eight a little bit with the, the sort of tense relationships uh, in the families. And we kind of see that mirrored later on when we are introduced to Big Daddy, but I won't steal the thunder. Uh, we got to get there. Yeah, so meanwhile, while this plot about Sarah having difficulty accepting Tria is going on, Littlefoot's upset about being tiny, and he he decides to treat himself to the Great Valley's equivalent of a bucket of ice cream, which is to snatch some tree sweets. But he decides to prove these big by going uh, to a rock that overhangs the tree sweets and have some from the top of the tree, which causes him to stumble and fall down through the tree, knocking off every single flower in a miraculous <laughs> instance of, of, of cartoon clumsiness. I felt so bad for Littlefoot, like, oh my god, they're gonna kill him. 
Yeah, I was like, they're like, going to draw and quarter this kid. Because if these things are better than tree stars, the most important thing in the Great Valley, like, <laughs> no, like, family will not protect him. He's just going to <laughs> die. Uh, Grandpa will lead the charge. Yes. Yeah. So he wakes up, and all the tree sweets are gone, and he sees the first tiny saurus, a tiny little long neck just like him, but about a third or a fourth of his size, just sitting on him, munching the last of the tree sweets, and and it runs away, and all of the tree sweets have been eaten by tiny sauruses, and this is this is basically the inciting incident of the film. There are, for me at least, like I try to predict these movies as I'm watching them because I'm an asshole, but like there there are moments like this where I thought the film was going to go in a certain direction, but it actually pivots into something else. Like here, I thought like when Littlefoot saw the tiny dinosaurs, he would like think that he had somehow magically become bigger and like that was going to be something, but it was actually like the dinosaurs were small, but that doesn't end up happening. Instead, what happens is Mr. Threehorn is uh, parading with his uh, new girlfriend yeah. uh, through the Great Valley. He's promised her the first tree suite, which is what makes Sarah so pissed off because Sarah feels like she's being replaced. And when he when he sees the the tree stars and uh, the tree suites and now they're destroyed, he screams so loud that everyone in the Great Valley hears it. And then my favorite line, uh, Grandpa Longneck is like, <sighs> Mr. Threehorn again. You know, from like 10 miles away. <laughs> and then Grandma's like, wonder what he's mad about. And he says, I don't know, but I'm sure he'll tell us. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Let's get this over with. Christ. The animators and the writers at this point are very, very aware of the tropes of these movies. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So after this, they all have a meeting in front of the tree where everyone is losing their minds over these uh, tree suites. This is where we find out that not only that Mr. Threehorn has promised Tria, the first tree sweep, but this is also where Sarah first sees Tria and sees how like close she is to her father and gets, I think, rightfully like weirded out by it. Yeah, Sarah is is not comfortable with this because her first interaction with Tria is basically like, oh, here's the person that my dad apparently just promised the first tree suite to without telling me. And so, like, immediately Sarah's just in, in, in hate mode. And I gotta say, like, this whole arc I thought was really uh, effective and believable. I contrast it with the revelation in the last episode, number 10, of Finding Littlefoot's Father, which was never, like a problem for Littlefoot. Like, Littlefoot finding his father is, like, cool, but, like, he's never asked about his father. He's never wondered about his father. That was never... The character has never been mentioned. Yeah, it's it's never been mentioned. It's never an issue. But, like, this one, even though, in the same respect, we don't hear about Sarah's mother, however, I can feel kind of that tension of, like, a little kid getting to know a new... Parents. Yeah, a new matriarchal figure in their life. So, like, I, like, could really... You know, feel Sarah like that's yeah. it felt really relatable because their relationship has always been the same. You know, Sarah even says a line when they're arguing like, but I want things back the way they were before when you didn't like anybody and nobody liked you, <laughs> you know, which is a funny line. But it, it speaks to the, the truth of for a while. They kind of only had each other, you know, like they yeah. had this little 
we're the three horns uh, union, and now that's being invaded by somebody else. Mm. I think that's a really good point. It it shows that Sarah is not only just you know obviously jealous of Tria, but also the connection that the these two had, which we'll learn is maybe not the the best relationship. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. But while this is happening, while this plot is beginning. The other plot is beginning, which is Littlefoot tells the story of the tiny little long necks who ate all the leaves, neglects to mention that he's the one who knocked the leaves off the tree in the first place, and uh, in a in a flagrant violation of the franchise's tropes, everybody just kind of believes him about the crazy thing that he saw. <laughs> well, because there's evidence. I, this is another switcheroo that happens where I thought the whole movie was going to be them not believing Littlefoot saw these little creatures and be like the the underpants gnomes in South Park or something like that. Yeah. But no, like pretty early on, uh, Mr. Threehorn sees one of the one of the leaves that was left over and finds these these tiny teeth marks. And like, the, oh, the, the bite uh, radius on that victim does not match the bite radius on the shark that you pulled out of the bay. Which I was really happy about because if people again don't believe Littlefoot for like the fiftieth time in this franchise, I was gonna lose my mind. Like we can't, I can't watch that again. That's every single. They were one of about these to. Everyone immediately jumped to not believing Littlefoot until Mr. Threehorn apparently is like some sort of some savant where he's just like, these bite marks are way too small to be anyone. To like, be fair, how, there's anybody the that would you know that if there's anybody that would know about about bite marks, uh, skull sizes, <laughs> uh, speak, it would definitely be Mr. Threehorn. And of course, uh, that leads right into his solution to this problem, uh, which is to jump right to proposing genocide, killing them. Uh, he says we his have to final kill these. Solution. We have yes. to. We have to. He says we have to kill these things immediately, and everyone's on board again because and, and we're not. We're not exaggerating like we sometimes do for fun. He literally says we need to hunt them down and exterminate them. We have to hunt them down and exterminate them. <laughs> he says those words. Yes, and. And again, all of the dinosaurs agree. And again, it's just food they're talking about. <laughs> like, like one, like I guess, really special tree is enough for them to just like want to kill an entire species. One of the dinosaurs has a has a line where he says, "Little things are awful. I hate them." Like, <laughs> what? like what? This this is this is Schindler's dinosaur. The rest of the plot. Oh my god! And well, and this is when we go into the first song, uh, uh, "Creepy Crawlies." Creepy crawl. Creepy crawlies. Everybody hates those little creepy crawlies. Which okay, is okay. Uh, this song bangs. Yeah, bit of, yeah, definitely a banger. Bit of a banger for sure. I I enjoyed uh, the song uh, quite a bit. Uh, the songs I think overall are pretty solid in this movie. This movie's definitely got some good songs. Uh, this one's really fun. We see him kind of walk around and uh, talk about we gotta kill him. And some and Grandpa's like, should we maybe like not kill him? And everyone's like, no, that's dumb. We're gonna kill him. <laughs> and the song, and even Littlefoot's friends, like Petrie, is out for blood. Like he he is so like having a weird power trip. Like I am the looker in the sky. Nothing can escape my all-knowing gaze. And he, he he just looks like he wants to 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 like rain down fire from the air on these tiny little things that stole his tree sweets. Yeah, I have a few notes about Petrie in this moment because like he flies up so high that he thinks that everyone in the Great Valley is a <laughs> tiny saurus, and yeah. then he swoops down and crashes into Grandpa. And like, is he just coded as developmentally challenged throughout this series, or is this like a new thing? 
that is happening to him right now. This is throughout the series. He's he really is like either, you know, he's he's um not not the sharpest tool in the shed, or he just has so much like paranoia and anxiety that he just kind of leads him to do just just very strange things, which I you know I can relate to. You know, yeah, it's definitely a mood for me. He's a touch more together than Spike, but less together than everybody else. Yeah, he he clearly <laughs> has like some if if not mental problems, definitely like a psychological emotional problems that he has to work through. Yeah. Uh for sure. Um so everyone's into it. They all think it's a fun game, which again is funny because they're they're just killing dinosaurs. They're talking about killing them, yeah. The adults when they're looking for the the dinosaurs um kind of give a good showing of why they all became extinct. Like <laughs> yeah. one of the <laughs> And no wonder you're extinct. Like one of one of the adult dinosaurs just starts like chasing her tail which... around a log because <laughs> she, she's so long that her tail comes around the log, and she's like, "It's a tiny saurus," and she chases herself around the log. Another guy is like looking for a, a tiny saurus under like a root and gets stuck. And we just have this montage of, of stupid adults getting stuck in these ridiculous situations, and you're like, "Yeah, that they they don't stand a chance against that asteroid." I thought that uh, this was going to come back later because they were showing how like large dinosaurs weren't equipped to handle this this issue and maybe like smaller dinosaurs um had their place in society but no like this is the only time where we see this oh that's a good point yeah in a better movie that probably would have uh had something to do with something it do- it does kind of like Highlight how the tiny sources are able to consistently escape because they can fit into these tiny little spots. Yeah, I guess the idea is that the tiny sources either always existed in the Great Valley or like have been there for at least a while. And they are so small that they can kind of just eat stuff and the other dinosaurs can't see them or they ignore them because they're so small. Yeah. Like those little fish that eat the crap off of other fish. Yeah, yeah. Remora fish. Remora fish. Ducky, I, I like Ducky does like also say what we're saying. She has like a line like, I don't think the di- the, the grownups are very good at looking for tiny sauruses or whatever she says. Um, Queen of stating the obvious. Yeah, she's uh she's great. So while, while they are searching together, Ducky... Ducky has her her social um, lack of grace moment with Sarah where she's like, so is Tria going to be your new mom? <laughs> and Sarah oh tries God. to kill her. Uh, <laughs> no, when, when Littlefoot says that to, to Sarah, I was I was laughing so hard. Like, oh, come the fuck on, Littlefoot. She going to be your new mom? <laughs> he just keeps asking, asking invasive questions. I know. Horrible, horrible questions. And Sarah, like, rightfully just starts chasing him. <laughs> like, I'm going to fuck you up for saying that. <laughs> yeah, okay, that is Littlefoot. Yeah, I had remembered it, Ducky, because Ducky has another moment later where she pisses Sarah off. Oh, yeah, no, everyone just pisses Sarah off. Uh, Sarah actually comes off pretty well in this movie. It's always like you never know how the writers are going to p- portray Sarah as either like the absolute worst dinosaur of all time or like something more sympathetic. And I am happy that they chose the latter in this one. Uh, Again, going back to nine where she was just an unbearable character. Like just every scene with her was terrible. Um, This is probably Sarah's best movie. 
And I, I think it is because it is a, a, a big part of it is focused on her in a way that the other movies haven't. Much like uh, number eight focused on Ducky and Spike and number seven focused on Petrie. It's nice to see the other characters kind of get some time to shine and, and develop their their character. Yeah, as opposed especially to di- yeah. since Littlefoot's emotional arcs are always more boring than the other characters' yeah. emotional arcs. It's always the Littlefoot show. And I'm just, you know, there's only so much you can learn about Littlefoot. Yeah. Littlefoot stumbles upon the Tiny Saurus's uh, secret underground Fraggle Rock leprechaun lair. They live in this underground cave, which is their, their like magical little society, and they're all hiding out under the floorboards because they know the other dinosaurs are out to are out to get them. They they approach him and like, oh, you're so big and tall, and Littlefoot is loving it. Yeah, I'm big. I am. Part of me wonders if Littlefoot um, adopts, you know, this position of of secretly aiding and and feeding these tiny sauruses because he's a good person or because they ingratiated him, (laughs) ingratiated themselves to him. Oh, I think it's praising his tallness. Oh, yeah, I think it's both. I think Littlefoot is really just excited that there are these creatures that think he's so large and so powerful. The big guy. So the tiny sources are are led by their own Mr. Threehorn equivalent, whose name is, Anthony? Uh, Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Daddy Tops and Big Daddy. Big Daddy, uh, voiced by... Uh, I just forgot his Michael name. Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan from mm. The Green Mile. And uh, other movies. The Street Fighter movie, Legend of Chun-Li. Yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. And uh, Big Daddy <laughs> is basically like their version of, of Mr. Threehorn. He doesn't trust the big dinosaurs. He's very secretive and he 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 doesn't want them to associate with the big dinosaurs. You told him about us, didn't you? You told the big ones. Except he apparently like has a good reason for believing that because the big dinosaurs literally are trying to kill them right now. Yeah, the film does the what the, the thing that a lot of films do, especially children's deal, unfortunately, where they both sides it. Like, oh, both sides are a little wrong. Like, no, one side is definitely more wrong yeah. uh, mm-hmm. than, than the other, for sure. Um, but this sequence is really fun. We get to see these little dinosaur creatures who are very cute, uh, very sellable to, to children and a Toys R Us of some kind. Yep. And the big daddy, who is, you know, just like an older version of the, the small dinosaurs, Michael Clark Duncan is fun. Um, even though he is a, a famous uh, actor, he's also a, a very talented voice actor. Yes. So it doesn't sound jarring like... It does again when when Littlefoot's dad, voiced by um, Kiefer, Kiefer, Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, just sounds like a guy and t- <laughs> sounds completely out of place yeah. uh, within within the universe. Anyway, Littlefoot decides to help them find food so that they'll stay because otherwise they have to move out. And Littlefoot's like, "No, you treat me like a king. Please stay." Yeah, he secretly brings them tree stars in the night. And I'm like, Littlefoot, you're really excited, but I've seen this Twilight Zone episode. I know what ends up happening <laughs> so Littlefoot decides to sneak out at night to gather tree stars and to secretly uh, feed the, the little dinosaurs because they can't they can't come out and look for food anymore because the big dinosaurs are all hunting them during this we, we find a couple other things out too um, there, there's a moment where Mr. Threehorn finally introduces uh, Tria to Sarah formally formally and Tria is talking about how, how they once knew each other 
uh, a long time ago and how handsome he was. I was a wild young fellow, <laughs> and she was the cutest. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is a very uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, yeah Mr. Three Horn is like, oh, Tria just migrated to the Great Valley, and, and wouldn't you know it, we, we know each other. Uh, <laughs> and Tria's basically like, yeah, I fucked your dad before your mom did. Like, that's her total. <laughs> and Sarah is not having it. She's extremely jealous. She's, she's very much threatened by this new uh, Triceratops in her life. Tara is like also like just so hard for Mr. Threehorn. You just might like, say she's horny. I wouldn't say that. Uh, no, no, that would be, oh, well. Well, I hope you enjoyed our last episode of <laughs> Land Before Time. <laughs> oh, Topsy, you say the silliest things. <laughs> but yeah, she's just like, really sex positive which which i appreciate she is just like i am going to fuck this dinosaur and no one uh can stop me like this is just going to happen he consents we both want to do it we're, we're going to fucking do it sarah and <laughs> it's 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 creepy and refreshing at the same time is how i would describe it yeah so that happens sarah kind of goes off in a pout this is where Mr. Threehorn tries to open up uh, to her a little bit, which again he he's, has, bad, he's at. bad at because he you know his emotions are like compacted down into the size of diamonds. Yeah. And it's just um, anger. Just it all anger. comes out as anger. Yeah, it's like inside out, but there's like ten angers just in his head, like yeah. firing off all the time. We we talked about this line earlier where Sarah was like, I ha I like it better when everybody hated you and you hated them where Mr. Threehorn is I think kind of in, uh, insinuating that like he has finally found somebody that likes him when nobody else besides his daughter does like yeah. everybody else hates him rightfully hates him because he's he, a domineering asshole he's a domineering asshole he's one of if he were around today he'd be one of the beautiful boaters <laughs> yeah. um that support trump but like it is still really sad to kind of see i think yeah he he's he's been lonely this whole time and finally somebody likes him miraculously and he is all about it he is not gonna let that go my reading of this scene was a little more sinister like when sarah has that line like she wants to go back to when nobody liked him i was thinking like that's exactly like what an abuser tries to do like cut off a person's lifelines and social circle outside of the relationship so like she and and her daughter or she and her daddy husband like have just been codependent this whole time and now that somebody threatens that balance she is fighting against it i mean that's that's oh no uh, that's really interesting that's an apt reading no, that's actually. really interesting yeah. so you think so yeah so you're saying either that that sarah is the abuser or they're both i guess abusing each other well she she I think they're both on him i think you know she she he's her he's her authority we've seen throughout this franchise how much she idolizes him yeah and you know despite taking the brunt of his abuse so you know that's a little bit of uh of like like father like daughter yeah this is a really interesting moment uh for both of them because like you said anthony they have this codependence and something is coming in to to break that and that is kind of upsetting the balance of everything however a, a, an interesting kind of wrinkle into that is that sarah does at least have friends yes where mr three horn 
does not. Like, nobody <laughs> likes Mr. Threehorn. Like, he has no outlet in the same way that Sarah does, which is why we see Sarah learns more emotional lessons than her father, her, who really only learns a lesson, like, when he's about to get eaten by a sharp tooth or something. Really, yeah. the only time he learns anything. But, yeah, that's a really interesting point, Anthony. I like that a lot. Sarah um, is really upset one night. Um, she can't sleep. I think it's right after this conversation we just mentioned. She goes on a walk and is like, I hate Tara. She's not even that cool or whatever she says and and, and then she spots littlefoot yes. secretly ferrying his contraband to the uh the the secret uh the secret annex of of tiny sauruses yes and wakes up all of her friends in a series of comedy beats uh to spy on him and see what he's doing oh yeah uh there's this moment um earlier in the movie uh they make a lot of jokes about tara calling mr three horn topsy uh there's like a line where petrie says she calls him topsy ew (laughs) which is perfect the exact response and then ducky just starts calling him topsy apropos of nothing yeah (laughs) yeah pissing sarah off immensely like sarah like pins ducky to a tree oh yeah like like force choking her like don't you dare call my father that again and there's a moment um, when Sarah's waking up Ducky where Ducky sees Sarah, rightfully freaks out, <laughs> yeah. and goes, I didn't say Topsy, I swear. Yeah. <gasps> I did not call your dad Topsy, I promise. <laughs> Which is how moments. I would respond, too, if I just woke up and Sarah was <laughs> in front of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, w- I would just be losing my mind. So that happens. A couple of other kind of funny beats happen. They try to wake up Petrie, who also isn't having it. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> genuinely enjoyable like there are funny moments in this movie like not just funny in like oh it's so bad it's good kind of way there are like some jokes in here that i think land pretty well yeah and there are bad scripts yeah no like this one is actually uh very watchable which is more than we can say about a lot of these films sarah and the rest of them uh follow littlefoot and tumble into the hole and meet the tiny sauruses. Yes, where they frolic and have fun. And then Sarah bonds with Big Daddy's daughter over their mutual abusive fathers. Yes, uh, the daughter, um, voiced by the, the same uh, woman who voiced uh, uh, Susie Carmichael in Rugrats, uh, number five in Codename Kids Next Door. I can't remember her name at the moment, but, you know, a, a veteran voice actress. And they they bond over how shitty their, their fathers are, and they sing this song that we discovered is called Girls and Dads. They treat you like a baby, like you're so small you break. And then they scream and yell when you make one mistake. All their rules are more than any girl can take. Oh, 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 dads. Yep. Just, you know, just girls and dads having a time. I can relate to that. It's <laughs> a fun, fun moment. It's like those father-daughter purity dances. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, this song is another banger. It's kind of like a doo-wop number, and mm-hmm. it's really fun and very, very funny. There's um, some some little psych gags where, like, they notice the backup singers and, and stuff like yeah, that, yeah, they, which they, is really cute. Like, three other tiny sauruses keep showing up as background singers, even though they, they were not part of this moment. And there's a shot where they the, the background singers pop pop in and then pop back out, and Sarah is like, what? 
Who are they? <laughs> Where'd they go? Yeah, there's a lot of meta moments in this where like people are acknowledging that they're singing, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, there's I think like there was a moment of that in the first song too, when the the grownups are singing and the 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 children dinosaur just kind of staring at them. <laughs> yeah, like is this what it looks like when <laughs> we have a musical number? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is like the adults have their moments of, of their moment of singing that song and then there's a break and then the kids are like oh we want to do that too and then we have like a nice little reprise of the song as they start searching too creepy crawlies creepy crawlies it is so much fun to look for creepy crawlies yeah, yeah. this one almost has four songs kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in, in a way as opposed to the normal three we said they all have fun uh, playing in the stuff or whatever. Sarah uh, agrees to join Littlefoot's conspiracy and not tell the grown-ups about them, mainly because she's pissed at her dad and wants to spite him in any way possible. But um, for a minute there, Ducky and Petrie are like, let's go, let's turn him in and get the reward. Topsy <laughs> says, we'll all get a reward if we turn him in. <laughs> And Littlefoot has to be like, uh, no. Yeah, don't do not do that. And you know Sarah's telling the truth because she's doing something out of pettiness. Yeah. So it has to be, like, real. And even, like, Big Daddy has a line that's like, I can tell you're being honest. Like, yeah. I, I can feel your, I can feel how much you hate your father. I know you're not going to tell. Um, as a hated dad is, myself. As a dad myself, I can tell uh, when uh, other daughters are mad at their fathers. Not when my daughter is mad at me, obviously. I don't have that kind of self-introspection, but other people I can tell. After they get back, um, Sarah has a one-on-one -on -one talk with uh, Tara, Tria. Tria. Why did I say no, Tria? Well, Tara's a real name. That's why I said Tara. <laughs> yeah. Or more real. I don't know if it's as if it's a real. It's more real. Uh, Tria has a confrontation one-on-one -on -one with Sarah and gets kind of mean. Look, Sarah, I have tried every way I know to be nice to you, but you've shrugged me off. Fine. I'm a big girl. I can take it. But I like your dad. I always did, and he likes me. And I think we're good for each other. Like, gets yeah. kind of in Sarah's face about this. Yeah, she's kind of like, look, I've tried like a whole two times to become your <laughs> friend, and it's not <laughs> happening. So listen, I'm going to marry your dad, whether you like it or not, and I guess we'll just not be friends, because that's up to you. Yeah, that was so cold. Like, imagine that. Like, you're in a, you know, you have divorced parents, and you're your father's new girlfriend comes in and is like, I'm going to marry him. Like, you cannot stop me. I don't give a shit. Like, that's fucking horrible. Yeah. It's framed really weird, too. Like, the benefit that she has to give Sarah. Like, look, open up because you need someone else to worry about you. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, Sarah, who has consistently proved herself the most independent-minded, self-sufficient person in the Great Valley. Yeah, like, needs... And, and uh, Tria is, like, I love your father. I'm going to have sex with him. You, you cannot stop me. <laughs> I am still, like, why? Like, Tria, you are clearly too good for this dinosaur yeah like why are you wasting your time with the worst the worst creature in 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 the land before time yeah the movie does a really bad job of explaining why she's attracted to him she's just like oh he's so handsome like oh that's why women like men right uh it doesn't matter if they're horrible bigots uh, so it's it's really it's it's not till the end of the film that 
he actually does anything that would give her a reason to like him but it's it's still just like a mystery like it honestly makes me think tria must not be a very good person either if you know what i think it is i don't into. you know what i don't want to be sexist so I, let, let's not go to that to that argument even though it's very possible i think just daddy tops's dick is that good <laughs> and you just don't forget it like it ruins you forever <laughs> like Tria was in like these really nice relationships with very caring uh, three Tris- horns triceratopses. triceratopses that were very nurturing and loving, but like they just didn't have the dick. <laughs> it doesn't even necessarily have to be a gendered thing either. I mean, like if the sex is that good, you overlook a lot of red flags. You just kind of push them aside. Like, okay, th- you know what? I-, I get it, but I need this. It's true. Like it's a very toxic relationship that that they have with each other. And I mean, a- as as someone who definitely understands what. What what a good dick can do to you? Like I um, I can also say that like I wouldn't just date somebody for the dick. Most of the time I wouldn't do that. But that's an, that's another podcast. We're all human. We're all we're all we're all human. Or are we dinosaurs? I'm a dinosaur. My signs are vital. My horns are cold. Um. Jack Horner reverse engineered my DNA and I'm slowly turning into a dinosaur. Yay! Oh, can you can you get him to do that for me too? That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'd rather be a dinosaur. At this point, they've been hanging out with the the little tiny sauruses a lot. Um, they're excited to go hang out with them again. Petrie has this this weird line that I, I had to write down where he says, <laughs> "Tonight, me tickle Rocky." Okay. <laughs> Well, that, all right, that's a sentence, I guess, Petrie. But then <laughs> Mr. Threehorn sees the tiny sauruses and chases them back to their lair because a couple of tiny sauruses. The, the, the kids are out trying to hang out with the tiny sauruses, and Mr. Threehorn is out on patrol, and so they can't. They can't get the food to them, and the tiny sauruses start to worry, so a couple of them leave the lair to run out and find food, and Mr. Threehorn sees them. I want to focus on this moment for a little bit, because when Mr. Threehorn catches them at night, like, walking back to the hole, he goes, what are you kids doing out so late? And Littlefoot goes... Well, what are you doing out so late? And like, Mr. Freehorn just starts stuttering. Like, oh, well, I'm just like, look, okay. uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm on guard duty. Yeah. Like, okay, like we get it. You were going to fuck your girlfriend again. Like, I, you, do you just not get tired? Like, how often are you mating? And then, uh, of course. As soon as they leave, you know, out comes Tria. Tria, who, like, tries to, like, seduce him while he's on the job, which is kinky. I'm into it. But that's not Threehorn's game. He doesn't like that. So he, like, says, no, I'm on guard duty. Away with you. So, yeah, they discover the tiny sources. They chase him back to the lair. And Tria who for this whole movie so far has just been on board with with Mr. Threehorn's whole hunt them down and kill them plan, notices that they are cute and then says, we should let them be. They're cute. And it's like... (laughs) If they were ugly, would you would you still want to kill them? Yes, yeah, that's absolutely the impression. Uh, oh, they're actually like really nice looking. I thought they were gonna be like monsters. Yeah, I would kill monsters. That's also like a really weird point. Like you know, we should we should be perfectly fine scapegoating other types of people until they prove their utility to us or like are pleasing in some way. Yes, which mm. is a big big problem in a lot of these um, uh, quote unquote immigrant allegories. The need to prove their worth is placed on the immigrants instead of just being allowed to exist exist because they're people and everyone should exist regardless 
of what they bring to the table. It, like yeah. they don't have to prove their worth in order to be worth they, while. To they be don't important. have they don't have to be valuable to uh, the institutions of dinosaur capitalism uh, in order to be allowed to <laughs> dino live in the great capitalism. Well, that, well, that's the, yeah. Dino capitalism. Well, well, that's the other thing, too, because, like, it's always in that context. Like, they have to prove their worth within a capitalistic society, how they, they – do they work hard enough to do this or that, when in reality, just by existing, just by living, they are contributing to the great social experiment that is humanity, mm -hmm. and that is the important thing, and that's why everyone should live. If we, if we squash – yeah. If we squash the tiny sources, who's going to leaf blower your lawn? Even though, again, this is more because they're hidden and they're not subservient to the big dinosaurs and the fact that nobody knows who they are or what they're doing. I think they are trying to – because there is like a line where um, I think it's grandpa or somebody says something like – Little, you know, the little things are the most important, and those are the ones that we forget about. And it's kind of tried to imply that, like, we sometimes forget the people that are on the outskirts of society that are in a lesser position. And I, you know, it's, it's a very scrambled metaphor, yeah. but they are trying uh, to say they're trying to say they're trying to say nice. something like that. But anyway, finally, all of the adult dinosaurs find the tiny sauruses, and, and they're they're out with their metaphorical torches and pitchforks uh, uh, to go to go kill them. Here is where Tria gets mad at Mister Threehorn because she sees the dinosaur he actually is instead mm -hmm. of the dinosaur he pretends to be to impress her. Exactly. Which yeah. is important. That's a big part of a relationship is figuring out exactly what you're getting yourself into. And I think Tria was really starting to feel that. No, they're not like he said. What? Sure, they're little, but they're cute and frightened. We should just leave them alone. If you don't know what you're talking about, you shouldn't talk at all. What? She gets she gets mad at him because she's kind of sticking up for the little people, and he's like, "No, you you should just shut up, you dumb woman." And um, <laughs> the the adults are all marching over to the hole to kill the the little dinosaurs, and <laughs> Grandpa's like, "Littlefoot, what are you, what are you going to do to stop them?" And Littlefoot's like, "I know how." I know what to do to stop them. <laughs> so I was I was like making dinner when I was watching this and like this one line made me crack up so much when they're like when Mr. Threehorn is getting them into like a xenophobic frenzy like one of the adults just comes forward and they're like let's seal up the hole with rocks. I say we go to their hideout and seal it up with rocks. Yeah. yeah! Like that's their whole <laughs> That's their solution to everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what we were we were thinking when we watched it because like they're they're gonna go do that and Littlefoot's like I gotta stop them. Grandpa's like how Littlefoot and he's like I know how and I was like I shouted in the room rocks and cliffs and the next shot <laughs> was a rock and a cliff. cliff. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a the adults are trying to push a rock off a cliff to seal up the hole. Littlefoot runs up there and jumps onto the rock that they're about to push and has his, you know, little Pocahontas I, moment. I, I gotta say, like, if we ever get big enough where we start selling merchandise, <laughs> one of our first shirts after eggs, that's gonna be our absolute first one. Eggs. Our second shirt is gonna be something like, all I need is rocks and cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm really excited about that. But yeah, anyway, I guess, yeah, Littlefoot has his Pocahontas moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he, he gets up on this rock and he's like, I'm the one who took all the tree sweets off the tree sweet tree. Huh? 
don't kill the little dinosaurs. I broke the dam. I knocked the tree sweets <laughs> off the tree. And then I lied to cover my shame. And in that moment, in that ensuing conversation, uh, the conflict of the movie ends. Uh, and becomes uh, something completely different and highly predictable. Well, there's a little a little bit of a twist because Littlefoot's speech uh, isn't actually enough because the rock falls anyway. Yes. And covers up the hole. I thought they were dead. <laughs> I yeah, first well, saw that. We're, we're supposed to think they're dead. Dead, but no, it's just actually that they're they're covered up and they decide to run out because they're upset at Littlefoot and all the the other dinosaurs for lying to them and and showing that big dinosaurs are actually evil and worthy of scorn. And they they head toward an exit to their network of tunnels that goes presumably into the mysterious beyond. Yeah, cuz it's scary, so it's probably the mysterious beyond. And then some sort of studio exec is like, "Hey, wait, there's no sharp teeth in this movie and a couple of sharp teeth attack them through the mysterious beyond yeah and because these are tiny little dinosaurs the the biggest conceivable threat that a sharp tooth needs to be is a raptor so a couple of raptors come through and it becomes the sh- the, the sharp tooth chase that's at the end of every land before time movie yeah i think that has to be a mandate by producers that they give writers leeway to do basically whatever they want but they're has to be a sharp tooth attack for the kids. Yeah. Like, otherwise, like, you can basically write whatever the fuck. But, like, there has to be a sharp tooth at some point or they won't release it. So the kids are trying to defend the little mini dinosaurs against the the sharp teeth because they they run back into the Great Valley somehow. How do they get back through the... There's a little opening in the the thing that they tried to to close down. That's right. And they kind of squeeze their their way through that, which makes sense, you know, that that's that's better than just having, like, a T-Rex try to get through there or something. Yeah, so... Um, But before that, there's this moment where... um, um, Littlefoot is really sad because everybody hates him and he feels bad for doing it. He sings this this kind of soft ballad. Oh, I which, totally forgot about this 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 whole song. This yeah. song, which I like this song. As, as far as like cheesy ballads go, this one is fairly solid, I thought. If only I could start all over and take things back somehow I wouldn't have lied tried to hide if I knew then what I know now I, I thought like grandpa's addition to it was like very silly I, I'm, I'm like blanking on exactly what he said but I'm just like grandpa you are continuing your streak of just not being helpful this movie yeah well, like Littlefoot is singing about because all his friends are mad at him because of the lie he told and like how it escalated and caused this whole problem and Littlefoot's feeling very sad because he's you know feeling guilty because his his big apology his big admission just made everybody more mad and he's having this song about how you know I shouldn't have done that and then grandpa comes in and I think I think his line is like some kind of like oh lies get even bigger and out of control and like he's just his lyric is about how how like how how bad it gets when you lie and Littlefoot is like you're not helping Grandpa. Strange, how little things like lies keep growing taller until one day you lose your way and troubles get bigger. Well, you get smaller. Lies are bigger, Littlefoot, just like I was at your age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I like this song. It, it's derivative like every song in this franchise, but it's it's at least a, a more entertaining derivative 
than a lot of the ballads, which are usually the weakest songs in their respective movies. Yeah. Littlefoot approaches his friends to try and like make up and they're like oh, yeah, yeah. all they're all mad at him still. This and is this is before the song, this, so we'll we'll, we'll edit no, this, this, this around. This is after the song. Are you sure? I'm almost positive this is after the song. Okay. Also, Chris, I don't know if you know, but we've been kind of jumping around this whole episode. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. let's let's not <laughs> let's not get uh, anal about it right now. Let's leave that to Trium. Anyway, oh, um <laughs> anyway, uh, Littlefoot goes to his friends and it's like you guys can't still be mad at me which is kind of a shitty thing to say are you really that mad at me and this this moment happens where they're trying to like explain why they're mad to Littlefoot that I thought was like genuinely funny like it was actually it, a pretty enjoyable it scene it was they they all explain like they they just kind of like lay lay it all out and explain to Littlefoot like how shitty he's been you know and like why the thing he did has pissed them off for like eight or nine reasons Petrie is is like mad enough at Littlefoot that he then starts listing things that Spike did <laughs> plus Spike eat it all the bestest tree stars me found this morning yeah like they're making him mad Petri today. Said, like, i'm not mad at you because spike ate all my tree stars and spike's like it's like agreeing with him again like it's not you know it's not comedy gold it's we're not saying this is the funniest movie ever but it was m- much more entertaining than, than than we expect from this franchise yeah yeah it was it was a, a, a sweet little moment enough that we would risk cringe to tell you the joke like we risk cringe in order to bring this moment that we we enjoyed and, uh, quite a bit and later the kids feel bad about how they how they told off Littlefoot yeah because they, they're like oh no I, I made fun of Littlefoot I'm his bestest friend I'm his bestest friend and he'll and just they, start crying and yeah great. and they rush back to apologize to him uh, and that of course ends up having them come to his aid right when he's getting himself involved in the big action sequence with the the raptors and the the tiny sauruses. And then who comes to their rescue but Tria? And then Tria fights a little bit and then who comes to Tria's rescue but Daddy Tops. Yeah, Tria remembers that she's a girl and like, "Oh, I can't fight. Where's my strong man?" Yeah, even though and- I'm a I'm a literal <laughs> like like tankosaurus, I can't I can't fight two raptors. Without without a, a male without, triceratops. Yeah, without breaking breaking a, a nail on my my giant foot. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Daddy Top shows up and just starts just wrecking shit and smashing these raptors, which is enough to get Tria to love him again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. I mean, nothing was resolved, and I, you never dealt with the actual problem. But sure, you're in love again. He's just so badass. Yeah, and then in order to stop the raptors from coming into the Great Valley, they locate the hole that they came into the Great Valley through, uh, which always happens, and seal it off with rocks. And then they're like, well, I guess that means you tiny sauruses are here to stay too. Well, because the tiny sauruses also help in the fight. Like, they come back from the mysterious beyond. They, they swarm the, the yeah, raptors. Yeah, they swarm the raptor. Yeah. Uh, like that scene in Jurassic Park 2 where the little dinosaurs ate that that one guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do that to these raptors, and that is enough to get the um, the dinosaurs to, to talk and be friends with each other, and that is when Mr. Threehorn allows them to uh, <laughs> stay because, again, he's... Nobody would care. Like, when the only conflict they're like, okay, is Mr. Threehorn going to be a problem with this? Like, mm-hmm. do is Mr. Threehorn the one that 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 we're going to have to have to talk to? He has this kind of uh, this this nice uh, father to father moment with Big Daddy, 
where they talk about how they continually just uh, emotionally abuse their daughters. And like, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? do? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, this moment, it kind of reminds me of the last time he talked to a father, which is in episode three, which we, we often call the worst one. Yeah. Where he. Although I don't know now that we've seen nine. Nine. We'll we'll talk about that later. That'll be the future. But we re- remember the point part, right, Chris? I where do. Yeah. He, he talks to the, the hip, other father, hip, the bully, dad. Hip's yeah. dad, the bully's dad, about how they're shitty fathers. Clearly, didn't learn anything from that moment because he's the exact same person, if not oh, yeah. more mean. Uh, then that well, I mean, he he wasn't advocating genocide back then. <laughs> no, that was that in that one he was advocating a police state. Yeah, where he yeah. was just and it uh, made himself just king of the Great Valley, which yeah. was Mr. Threehorn really is just funny. a a stand-in for all of the different uh, facets of fascism. Yeah. Yes, um, Mr. Threehorn is fascism, which has to exist within the Great Valley. Because it's a neoliberal society. <laughs> so can't we all just get along? Yeah, exactly. Uh, because everyone has to get along. Neoliberalism I, allows fascism because it doesn't want to stamp it out. I want the Great a Valley should have kicked out Mr. Threehorn. People with rainbows put Sarah and into child's can custody hold hands. before he starts radicalizing yes. more people like his daughter. And then Mr. Threehorn comes back years later with an army ready to storm the Great Valley. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, that's my land before time. And and then the Battle of Helm's Deep happens. <laughs> <laughs> My Land Before Time scripts is that, and it's Sarah finally realizing that she should cut her toxic father from her life. I'm sure there's a fanfic of that somewhere. Um, <laughs> but anyway, is that it? Is that the movie? Th- that's the end of the movie. Um, time goes by, uh, and then um, uh, I don't know. Nibbler Day happens again. And Presumably they, um, a year later, and the kids haven't grown at all. But Simpsons rules. Nibbler, yeah, and um, they're all uh, going back to the the sweet tree, which has grown again. And wouldn't you know it, Mister Threehorn himself carved the first tree star, <laughs> carved the first roast beast. <laughs> <laughs> and gave it to the uh, the little dinosaurs. Yep. And um, that's it. They all became friends. And I'm excited to uh, probably never see the tiny sauruses again after <laughs> this movie. This probably is pro- not. One and done. <laughs> <laughs> They're not in the TV show, as far as I can remember. No, not, not in the so ones far. that we've seen. So I think that's uh, it. Although we have a lot to do on that TV show, it's a chore to, to work through that. Oh TV god, that show. is definitely the worst. That is worse than all the movies by Easily. far. So yesterday. When I was watching this movie, I like my roommate came in and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, OK, look, um, let me explain. Uh, I'm going to be on a podcast tomorrow and I have to bulk up on the land before time. And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember that that movie. It was based on the show. Right. And I was like, excuse me. Like she thought that the land before time original film had come out after the TV show and was based on it. Is your roommate seven? Uh, she is. She is twenty-five, which may be oh God, just no long enough ago. That makes me feel old. Oh Christ! Twenty-five. Uh, Jeez. Oh. Um. That's really. Uh. Yeah. That's really funny. 
some Geo Gamer. So she must think it's like a terrible show then, right? She must hate it. Uh, I, I did not ask her her opinion of the show. I was kind of stuck on the idea that she thought that the show was the first thing that happened in this series. The show is from 2007, so somebody who's 25 would be in, what, their early teens around that time? Late the, the tween age years? Yeah, that sounds about right. Because in 2007, I was, I was 16, and I'm almost 30. I was just going into college, so I would have been like 17 or 18. Um, So yeah, they would have been like like 12 or 13 when that came out. Okay, yeah, I could believe that might be someone's first exposure to Land Before Time. But again, if that's your first exposure, you must think it's a terrible franchise <laughs> with no redeeming qualities. If you don't know about that first movie, yeah. the franchise makes no sense. Like, why would they continue this bullshit? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. So anyway, Anthony, what is your verdict? And do you have any other thoughts uh, or notes to share on Land Before Time 11, uh, the invasion of the Tinysauruses? Well, having watched it on my own, I would have given it like a four out of ten. I, I was bored a lot of the time. And um, apart from these like very weird daddy daughter relationship bet uh, between Mr. Threehorn and Sarah. I, I wasn't engaged that much, but having talked to both of you about it, I have grown a more fond appreciation for the subtleties of this film. And I will up my grade to a five out of 10. Oh hey, yeah, nice. that's pretty good. I feel like watching this franchise is a lot like getting into jazz <laughs> where it doesn't make a lot of sense when you're like you're first listening to it like what the hell is this shit but then as you kind of listen to more of it and you get into like the nuances of everything you, you figure out that the, not all jazz sounds the same yeah there's little pieces here and there um then you have a, a sort of appreciation for it and i feel like that's where chris and i are at now after we've seen 11 of these movies we're connoisseurs of we're, we're, before we're land before time, time connoisseurs exactly yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't wait until they get into their um, into their interpretive um, uh, free jazz <laughs> movement, <laughs> which we may have already seen. Who knows? Um, well, Anthony, thank you for talking with us about the movie. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment in any podcast. I'm looking at you, This American Life. Uh, <laughs> It is time for Dino Facts with Professor Truthosaurus. All right. So for Dino Facts today, I was going to talk about Musaurus, uh, a.k.a. the Tiny Sauruses, because... You know, they're in the movie. But uh, I basically said everything that's interesting to say about Musaurus already, uh, which is just the fact that it wasn't actually that tiny. So today on Dino Facts, uh, it is at long last time to talk about dear old Topsy and his family of Triceratopses. Um, so Triceratops is above and beyond the most common dinosaur found from the Hell Creek Formation. It's the, which is the mineral formation that preserves the last few million years of the dinosaurs in North America. These were the dinosaurs that were alive when the meteor hit the Earth. Um, and this is the ecosystem that had Tyrannosaurus rex, Pachycephalosaurus, Ankylosaurus, lots and lots of interesting dinosaurs. So Triceratops would have contended with T-Rex in its primordial ecosystem. And we know that they, they uh, fought each other because we have 
triceratops that have tyrannosaur tooth marks on their bones, numerous examples of, of combat between the two. So we know that they they did uh, square off with, with T-Rexes. What isn't as well known is how triceratops lived. And it's actually um, uh, quite appropriate that this film is about a triceratops family unit and the drama thereof because it is believed that Triceratops lived in small family groups. They are often depicted as a herding dinosaur, sort of the buffalo of the ancient uh, landscape. And while we have found bone beds of other Ceratopsians that preserve thousands of individuals, and we know that some Ceratopsians from that lived in vast herds, we have never found a bone bed of Triceratops with more than three individuals, usually all uh, uh, juveniles together. And so it is currently believed that Triceratops did not live in vast herds. They lived in small uh, family units of, you know, just three to four uh, traveling together even though they are incredibly common. There were tons and tons of tons of them. Something like five-sixths of all dinosaur uh, finds from the Hell Creek Formation are Triceratops. They were enormously plentiful. They, they didn't dot the prairie like bison. They lived in, in small little groups. Of course, the most interesting feature of Triceratops is the head ornamentation. The massive shield covering the neck, the, the, the big prominent horns, and there's been much debate over the functionality of these horns. Were they used principally for defense or were they used principally for uh, interspecies competition, such as competition over mates or competition over territory? We know that they did spar with T-Rex uh, from those T-Rex tooth fragments, so we know that there uh, was a defensive function. Uh, but there's much less evidence over whether or not Triceratops would have used the horns to fight with each other. Uh, in nature, when you look at animals that have horns, such as antelopes, typically the amount of resources in the ecosystem dictate whether there are horns on the males only or on the males and females. If there are abundant resources in the ecosystem, only the males have horns because their primary function is to fight over females. But if it's a desert ecosystem, then the females might have horns as well so that they can fight with each other over food. We don't know enough about Triceratops to know whether or not the horns were used for this function, but it's certainly fun to speculate. Triceratops uh, caused quite a stir a few years back when paleontologist Jack Horner suggested that Triceratops was actually just a younger form of a dinosaur called Taurosaurus. And this led to a bunch of uh, inaccurate headlines saying, Triceratops never existed, and everybody was, was freaking out. But in fact, all that the proposal was is that a very similar dinosaur called Taurosaurus is just an older version of Triceratops. And Horner backed this up with examinations of the bone and found that Taurosaurus bones um, had less air pockets in them. They looked more mature, whereas if you cut into a Triceratops, even an adult Triceratops, the bones look a little bit immature. They've got a lot of air pockets and stuff like that. So this presents an exciting possibility that what we know as Triceratops is 
just the teenage version of an even bigger dinosaur, which is what Taurosaurus is, the same thing, but a lot bigger. Which just goes to show how, how interesting it is to see what you can glean just from looking at bones. But uh, Triceratops is certainly uh, one of the most interesting and beloved dinosaurs uh, for many reasons. And that's my dino facts for this, this episode. Oh, that was really interesting. Thank you. Uh, do you have uh, anything to add, uh, Doctor Rongodactyl? Why would I have? Why would I have something to add? Oh, oh, you just you just <laughs> agree with me this time? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say anything this oh. week. No, instead, what I'm going to do is I am going to recite this collection of Dennis Miller jokes I have written down, and oh hope that God. you all and uh, enjoy the time. Um, security, can we get her out of here, please? First off, uh, it says, please, uh, "Hey, babe." This button's uh, why don't you uh, <laughs> tug on a uh, why don't you tug now. on a Joan Rivers coffee tank? Said, okay, I think we're good now. I think all of the liberals are gone. I think all the progressives are gone. Now we can move on to what this podcast is really about. That's right. It is time for Triceratop. <laughs> Triceratop hour where we talk only to the Triceratop warriors that are here to defeat the deep state that is controlling the Great Valley. Now, this is very important. I need all of you to look and grab your Dakota rings that you picked up in the last box of Freedom America cereal. And I need you to open it and switch it to numbers 5006777222222 and decode this message. The trees are sweet. But the revolution is sweeter. Now, if you aligned your clocks to the correct time, that should make complete sense to you. Now, what we have to do right now is defeat the globalists. And by globalists, I mean long necks that are taking over this great world of ours. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, but Triceratops became extinct millions of years ago. That is not true. It is not true. It is not true. Folks, I'm about to tell you a secret. We're all Triceratops. That's right. All of us, freedom-loving Americans, are secretly Triceratops that have been placed into human skin by the globalists, by the lizard people, and by the round-earth conspiracy theorists at NASA. But if, if, if we're all Triceratops, wouldn't that make us the lizard people? We're all Triceratops. We're all the skin of a human being on top of us. That's the kind of question I would expect from you, Mr. Chris Nebergall Hussein. Well, joke's on you, because I am actually an egg stealer, and I stole your eggs! Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed your time here. Do you have anything you'd like to plug before you go? Oh, yes. Um, so I am, of course, uh, one of the hosts of Tunes and Tumblers, Atwood Magazine's podcast that's all about drinking while you enjoy a song slash album um we we like to uh think that that you can um enhance the senses by mixing them since that's what you do do you have any uh have an idea of a cocktail that can maybe pair well with the land before time franchise i do in fact um Ooh. i was thinking about this before i got on the show 
And um, I think that the best way to enjoy the Land Before Time series, uh, a good 13 out of 14 of them, is to just get as hammered as as humanly possible. So Fair. with that said, I am going to be doing a twist on a classic early 20s drink that the whole point of it is just to get you drunk immediately. Uh, it's the Adios Motherfucker. Um, or the AMF, but in this case, <laughs> okay. it's the Adios Mother Long Neck. Um, uh-huh. in, in, a, in, a, in a hat tip to... Because she died, uh, yes. Yes, because she died. So the way that you're going to mix this is that you're going to take half an ounce of vodka, half an ounce of rum, and half an ounce of tequila, half an ounce of gin, a half an ounce of blue curacao, and you're going to take a half an ounce of simple syrup and another half an ounce of lemon juice. You're going to put all that in a shaker with ice and shake it until it's cold, pour it into a glass, and just fill the rest of it up with Sprite or 7-Up because uh, we want it to be nice and sweet for the delicate palates of, of the children watching this series. <laughs> we, we don't actually endorse um, underage drinking. Um, but uh, then you're going to garnish that with either an orange slice or a lemon slice, depending on how you like it. And there you go. You can say adios to Mother Longneck and enjoy the rest of the series. Positively primordial Drink until there. you forget your dead <laughs> parents. Sounds great. And with that, Anthony, it is time for our final question. What is your favorite dinosaur and why? Mm. So I think, I mean, it changes all the time. Um, but right now it would probably be the Consubnathus. Am I saying that right? I I think I am. Yep, Consubnathus. Yes, from the Jurassic Park series. Uh, they're cute and they are kitten-sized. And in big swarms, they, um, they, they just uh, overtake you. And... I, I love the gag from The Lost World where the guy gets lost and then subsequently eaten by compies and the uh, two other guys go looking for him and they come back and they're like, oh, did you find him? They're just, they're just like, what was left of him? Now anyway. And then they just like get back to what it was they were doing. I'm like, dude, your friend just died and that's, you're just <laughs> going to drop a little joke? I don't know. The Lost World Jurassic Park, an, an underrated, underrated sequel. The, the copies the copies are just like uh, the Musaurus in this movie where the the uh, decades old assumption that they were the size of chickens is based on the fact that the original finds were actually juveniles uh, adult copies were a little bigger <laughs> than that uh, ah. but uh, yeah uh, Lost World Jurassic Park uh, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be talking about all the Jurassic Park movies in a, in a video essay I release at some point but that's a that's an underrated one can't wait for that well we'll stay tuned for that in the meantime everyone thank you so much for listening to land before timeland we hope you enjoyed it uh, wherever you are listening to this be sure to give us a re- uh, review uh, a five star however the rating system on your podcast app works. Uh, if you really like the show, and we know you do, you can check out our Patreon slash Land Before Timeland, where we update um, uh, f- semi-regularly a, a secondary podcast where we go through the Land Before Time television show 
from 2006, 2007. It is a trip. Some of these episodes are my favorite that we've recorded of any of these podcasts. So definitely check that out and subscribe if you want to not only help the show so we can kind of continue to make it, but also to listen to another uh, very funny podcast. We're also on Twitter slash LBTL podcast. We're on Facebook slash Land Before Timeland. Uh, the Twitter itself is very strange. We, we we made that into kind of its own beast, which we which we enjoy quite a bit. And, and I'll give another shout out. Um, I uh, have personally started working with you, Anthony, on a um, on a project on Medium um, that I don't. I think mine will be out by the time this is released. Where we are uh, writing quarantine letters to each other. Mm-hmm. If you want to check that out, the uh, publication is called "I Hope This Finds You Well." It is uh, correspondences in the time of COVID, and we get really deep. And if you want to learn about the inner workings of our minds. Go check it out. Roll a high sanity check before <laughs> going into our minds. Um, well, Anthony, again, thank you so much for joining us in the time portal slash uh, water slide. That is how we get to the land before land Yeah, I upgraded it. It's been hot here in Southern California. Yeah, now it's one of those slip and slides you get at a, at a Kmart. Do they have Kmarts anymore or do they go out of business? Well, they do back here in Land Before Timeland. Yeah, that's right. We, we're so far yep. back in time, they still have Kmarts, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, and Blockbusters and uh, Home Base as Oh, well. and you can drink all the ecto-cooler <laughs> juice you want. <laughs> oh, did they? Uh, did all of those stores originate in the Cretaceous period? They, yeah, they did. Yeah, the fossil the fossil marquees have been found. I would say at least a Triassic period minimum. Yeah, a few of them go back that far. <laughs> um, but anyway, Chris, why don't you flick on these these knobs and levers? I don't know what anything does on this machine. All right. Well, so long, Anthony. Sorry for the uh, flesh rending pain that the uh, uh, electrical bolts are about to cause you as I activate this time portal. But That's, it's part of the gig. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll go home to whatever adventure we're having. Activating the time portal. Wait, I don't want to go back to 2020. No. All right, we're finally done with that episode. We can get back to trick-or-treating. That's right, trick-or-treating, the thing that we can definitely do now in today's society. Absolutely, because, uh, wait, what year is it? Uh, oh, never mind. It's fine. It's probably yeah. fine. Let's, let's go, uh, ooh, let's go to that house. It's a big, scary, uh, abandoned, crumbling Victorian manor. I bet they got great candy in I there. bet they have, like, the really nice candy, like uh, king-size bars. Trick-or-treat! Boils and ghouls, I hope you like candy. Uh, listeners, I know you can't see, but we, we appear to be looking at... Are, are, you a, are you a dinosaur ghost? Thank you for noticing. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. I didn't think you went extinct with any unfinished business, but... Um, Oh, yes! Wait, Dinosaurs had lots of unfinished business. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on. You're not a dinosaur ghost, you're just wearing one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes spray-painted blue. No, that's not true! I'm not wearing an inflatable skeleton jeep by a Costco! Wait a minute, you don't even have a reflection in that mirror in the hallway behind you. Everybody knows ghosts have reflections in the mirror. Yeah, it's cameras they don't show up on. Obviously, I'm on an idiot. Let's get this costume off. Let's take this off. 
Aha! A vampire! No, yes, well, you got me. I was actually a vampire. I wasn't a ghost nor a dinosaur at all. But why would a vampire dress up as a dinosaur ghost to fool trick-or-treaters, adult trick-or-treaters, no less, on Halloween? Yeah. Oh, yeah, fair. Okay. You got any good candy? I do, but I'm going to have to, uh... Uh, suck your blood. Oh, that's fair. Just be advised, we have over 73 prehistoric diseases. Uh, me too. Look, you gonna suck my blood or what? Yeah, all right. Well, at, while we uh, become part of the undead, I hope you enjoy the podcast and stay tuned next week when we talk about movie 12. Yes, Land Before Time t- 12, the great day of... Oh, God, I'm getting lightheaded. Hey, you got any, like, oranges or something? I feel like I'm a... This land was made for time and land. 